We are broadcasting to you live from Arrakis, a harsh desert planet where giant worms roam the sands, attacking all rhythmic motion. Where the Fremen wander the land by night in still suits. These still suits maintain the water of the wearer. In Arrakis, in, in, on Arrakis, water is life, and in the art shed, art imitates life, and beer initiates discussion. I'm Mad Carl. I'm Normal Andy. I'm producer Chris. And I'm Shoebox. Hey, Shoebox. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> All right. Wait, wait. wait. <laughs> That oh, uh, intro was now? a fail. <laughs> that intro was a no, complete that was fail. A good, that was a great fa- That was a great failure. Oh uh, wait, wait. So welcome. Wait, we have to crack a beer. I Hold know. On, wait, wait, put, the, yeah. put the stomp on again. <laughs> so welcome <laughs> to the art shed. Nice, Carl. What are you it. drinking? Oh, uh, so I have a. Um, I have a gravy boat filled with wild turkey with uh, potatoes floating in it. Nice. Dang, man. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. What you that drinking? That sounds excellent. I've got a, it's called Phone Hone. It, it's a uh, peanut butter porter from uh, Night Shift Brewing. And nice. it, it, it's got an allusion to E.T. on, on the image. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Chris. It's, I, I'm sticking with uh, my fall theme this fall of uh, mulled apple cider. And so nice. I got uh, a bunch of cinnamon, star anise, clove, kubeb, some fennel, cardamom, I think. I think that's what's in it. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> let that steep away for a while. It's nice. So, shoebox, a what, mi- do you have a, a drink in hand, Shoebox? I do. Uh, I opened a Rochefort 10 for the night. Mm, nice. Yeah. Excellent. Chris, I was you gonna... want to introduce... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, Chris, you want to introduce the uh, guest? Yeah, sure. So um, today we have with us um, Thomas Shoebox McGee, who is uh, the owner of Pinch Spice Market, uh, an organic free trade spice company with a website, pinchspicemarket.com. Um, and also a friend, a friend of mine, a friend of the shows. I think he's, I don't think Andy has met him, but, um, Carl, I have not. So, yeah. Yeah. I I think I, go on. Introduce yourself. Sorry. Um, well, I'm Thomas and yeah, I'm, I own a, a spice company. What's funny, Carl, uh, I really loved your intro, and when I originally opened Pinch Spice Market, I really wanted to call it a ruckus. No but, Yeah, I did, but it was just, you know, I, I, there was a key demographic I knew I would really hit home with, but <laughs> I, I think the serious Dune fan was just not a large enough market nah. to sustain a, an entire spice company so yeah <laughs> i was advised I, against it <laughs> the life. those lawyers i know you didn't you didn't go with your second uh name either the quit it quit it tatarac you know i do sell a product though called the spice melange nice yeah uh, what is in there um, well, it's it's really mostly just kind of like a Southwest style seasoning. Funny enough, it's the first spice blend I ever made way before I even had a spice company when I just 
it was a neat thing to do to make your own spice blend. And um, I never had given it a name. Um, but then eventually I just wanted to have something called the spice melange and I wanted it to be kind of, I don't know, of a certain color. And uh, yeah. it's, what's interesting is with the movie reboot, it's been really popular like people are finding <laughs> us just to buy that and, and i see a lot of times people are um buying it and sending it as gifts to friends and they're always writing little fun tune quotes <laughs> in there too which is really nice. cool <laughs> oh, sweet. Uh, can you name the best quote or are you gonna get any of them yeah any funny quotes for us? Uh, I mean, I the... think the most the most common is just the "He who controls the spice controls the universe." Right. Um, <laughs> some sometimes when people buy it, um, I'll write them a little note and say, you know, enjoy folding space or you know things yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you find that more Harkonnen order or more Atreides order? <laughs> <laughs> No comment. I don't want to get guess. Melange is necessary for, you know, everyone, no yeah. matter uh, yeah. no matter what your political affiliation is. And, and you want to be at the center of the trade, you know? That's, yeah. that's basically where you want to focus. Yeah. And, and I would imagine the biggest shipments go to the guild. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we calling this the, t the uh, Thanksgiving episode? Carl, is it? Yes. Is there a bird in the shed? There's a turkey. I mean, we're in the wilderness out here. So. Out here in the yeah. Well, I, I Carl's plan is to kill this turkey live on the podcast. So it, uh, hopefully it won't come to that though. And wait, oh, and uh, and Shoe, Shoebox, uh, he's going to tell me how to spice up and cook that thing. Right? Nice. Is that is that the plan or uh, what's the plan? Sure. Well, are you going to, Yeah. <laughs> should we just go right into like giving people uh, advice about what you would recommend for uh, Thanksgiving or, or is that too yeah. soon? Uh, whatever you it. guys want to do. Oh, wait, uh, Andy. Oh, what, what yeah. do you do? Um, oh, I, I, I want to tell one, one small story about Thanksgiving when I was a little kid. <laughs> I, uh, Sorry. I, I failed in my job to, to yeah, tee you off for that. To prompt me. I was working I was, on it. You never let me have the chance. <laughs> oh, you were? Oh, yeah. Fuck. All right. Pause. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's since we are nearing Thanksgiving, it's the time of season where we all, like, you know, like trace our hands and draw some eyes and a beak on it. Right, right. When I, was in third, when I was in third grade, I had a con uh, there was a contest. Um, and... Uh, who could draw the best turkey? And I thought I drew a great one, but underneath my turkey, I drew a stump, and then I drew a bunch of severed heads, turkey heads, <laughs> and I drew an axe coming down on the turkey. And I was, like, shocked that I didn't win. And I was talking to this girl, and she goes, yeah, I almost voted for yours, but then I saw all the severed turkey heads, and I just couldn't vote for it. Said, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how fucked up I was as a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I think I have a uh, a card you made for our grandmother when you were oh, a kid. <laughs> okay, I, I won't tell that right. story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Pretty dark. 
<laughs> we'll return never, to I, that. I'll just I'll just say this: it never got given to my grandmother. So. <laughs> oh. Yeah, my mom intercepted it. Yeah, right. It was like dark. I was dark, foreboding, weird artist even when I was a kid. All right, sorry, Shoebox. So yeah. uh, go on. Tell us about what you would do for Thanksgiving. Uh, well, um, I would strongly encourage, especially this year, we're going to have a lot of people cooking Thanksgiving maybe for the first time because they will not be going home. That's kind of sad, but it's an opportunity to try something new. I think Thanksgiving for me is like my ultimate favorite holiday because it's all about cooking mm-hmm. and sharing meals with friends. Yeah. When uh, I do a bird, I kind of do three very specific things to get the best results. Uh, I brine it. Um, the brine, we're, a we're actually bit. doing a brine. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I sorry to interrupt um, you. I was just going to say, do you want to explain to people what brining is? I'm sure a lot of people know that yeah, already. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we and we actually make we're making a brine this year uh, for the first not the first time, but really officially selling a brine on our website. So I've been really thinking about all this lately. Um, a brine is basically a, is at its base salt water that you're going to um, soak turkey in overnight. And what it does is really help the turkey retain moisture. Um, there's a lot of technical jargon that goes along with that, but we'll skip that. Um, but uh, it's also a good time to impart some other uh, aromatic flavors. So I put things like juniper berries, coriander seeds, bay leaves, things like that in there as well, um, and some sugar. Uh, nice. And that. You know, that can just basically your turkey's going to sit in a brine overnight. It's mixed with water, uh, if I didn't say that already. And then um, I like to uh, basically before I put the bird in the oven, I like to coat it in butter uh, everywhere, uh, under the skin, over the under, skin, yeah. inside. Um, that's just me, and I think it... Uh, helps kind of like baste it a little bit, especially when you're putting butter under the skin on the breasts and helps keep them moist. And then I do a high heat cooking method for turkey. So usually when I cook a turkey, roast a turkey, it's it's going to come out of the oven in, in less than three hours. Um, you're putting it in at about 500 and then after... Uh, let's say a half hour, 40 minutes, something like that, you you then drop the temperature to 350. So you kind of really turbocharge the cooking up front and then then roast it kind of normally. And and that just quite simply reduces the amount of time the turkey's going to spend in a dry oven. So it should help you have a nice moist turkey. And then the last thing I do... Uh, when it comes out is I will sprinkle it with some salt and then tent it. And I like to let a big roast like that rest for quite a long time, usually about 45 minutes to an hour before carving it. Um, For Thanksgiving, the nice thing with that long rest time means then you've got a free oven to throw all your sides in and, um, 
you know, cook a bunch of other stuff before you serve it. And with uh, something like a big roast, it's still going to be like at a perfect serving temperature after that period of time. And it's going to be really nice and moist and um, exactly how you want it. So that is, that's how I cook a turkey. <laughs> that sounds nice. awesome. Nice. And a lot yeah. of work. But that sounds awesome. That sounds like it's the best. We're coming over to your house, I think. <laughs> no one no one's invited this year <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a weird thanksgiving it's a weird year grinding yep. is fucking oh, it makes things great grinding is so good yeah you know, and I know chris you know can probably expand so much more than i can even on it because there's also you can dry brine things where you're just basically coating something in salt, you know, and just skipping the water. Um, there's just a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, uh, exactly. And the dry brining, I mean, I think that that really kicked off with the Zuni cookbook, uh, Zuni Cafe cookbook, and has the thing where you're basically leaving it overnight, just like rubbed liberally with like kosher salt. Mm-hmm. And um, does a really great job. It it not only gives it a dry brine, but the skin is really crisp on that one too when you do it that way. Um, but I find if you just, you know, after you wet brine it, if you just pat it dry and just let it sit, I, I like to let all meats that I cook come up to room temp. Yeah. which it probably a lot of what I do probably is not considered safe, but no one's ever gotten sick or anything. Well, you're <laughs> um, going to cook it at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going to, going to be cooked. Um, but so, yeah, you know, just leave it out sitting in the bake in the cooking tray, just to, after patting it dry, let the skin dry off a little bit, even for 15, 20 minutes is going to do, do a lot. Um, but yeah. And I also, I do the same thing that you do too, with like putting the butter underneath. And I think that almost, when you're starting with a high oven like that, you're actually frying the skin yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. So it's really oh, kind of yeah. good. Yeah. The butter. I know. I, when, when you're describing that, I'm like, this guy goes to like great lengths to cook a turkey. The butter under the skin, that is going to be phenomenal. You'd be surprised. Like, that's actually what I described. If you go through those steps, is not that much prep and work. Um, and I, you know, I did skip a few steps in there and, and some specifics. Uh, and, you know, with the butter I do, I like to roast garlic and mix it in right. there. You know, uh, yeah. like make the compound yeah. butter. But there's you know, so many options that way. You know, something that came to mind, Chris, and, and for you guys too, as we're talking about brining, have any of you guys ever done the, like, make a cheap steak, a good steak technique? Have you ever no. heard of that? What is so that? basically what they do is take a steak and just coat it in salt. And I mean completely yeah. like put it in a dish, cover the whole dish in salt, and then let it uh, sit yeah. for a period of time, like a really bad cheap cut. And it's right. I, I've done it just to see what it was like. And and then you essentially you rinse all the salt off so you're not eating like a salt thing. Right. But you end up with like a filet mignon level tenderness on uh, like a, a round steak or something, you know. So it is okay. it does it does kind of demonstrate what brining is really intending to do. That's at kind of an extreme level. Yeah, exactly. And it, it it helps to tenderize it and it moistens it as well, because that's with brining. A lot of what it does is 
when you marinate, it doesn't really penetrate <clears throat> that deeply and it will add right. flavor, but just to the like eighth of an inch or something outside of it. So if you have a turkey, it's not penetrating that much. Although with aromatics, um, the smell adds to it, you know, Absolutely. that it's, you know, aroma is a huge part of flavor. So even if say garlic doesn't penetrate more than an eighth of an inch into the turkey, it still adds to it because you get the aroma of it when you get that slice of turkey on your plate and it's, you know, you're smelling it and tasting it through that way. Um, but salt will actually, salt water actually penetrates the cellular walls and moisturizes whatever meat is put into it, whether it's turkey or a steak. So in that case, yeah, it's going to make it much moister because something like a round steak is going to dry out like crazy. Um, and, you know, it'll make it moister and then it will tenderize it as well because it's kind of expanding the cells and uh, right. kind of breaking do it down. Do you guys use thermometers and stuff like that? Uh, I mean, I know, like, uh, I are do. you guys just like... Yeah, absolutely. So on a turkey, um, I like the measure on the breast. Um and now I, you know, it's like I pull it way before they say you should. You know, they say you should pull at 161 for safe. Right. Um, I feel like with the, the thing is, is when you pull it out of the oven and you tent it, the temperature is going to continue to rise for quite a while. So I'm not advising anyone to do this. I think you got to do what you feel is right. But for me, what's always worked is I pull earlier but the biggest thing is knowing what temperature you know is very important especially on something like poultry because if you cook too long it is going to be like eating i don't know a, a piece of cardboard <laughs> yeah. and if you pull too early right. you really are going to poison people so you you know yeah. you have to like you got to know what you're doing and and a thermometer is not a very expensive tool and is help very helpful whether it's an instant read or a, a, a probe i use like a probe thermometer i use that a lot for barbecue as well um but it, they're not expensive and, and it's a good tool yeah exactly and you can get them everywhere i mean you know they're available online obviously but then it's like you know home depot you can go in there and they have like for 15 bucks they'll have a probe thermometer I'm that you can just you know stick it into the turkey breast when it hits the temperature that you want, pull it out. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The temperature continues to rise. I, I just did a small beef roast tonight and, um, I started out and I was kind of like, okay, it's been seared. It felt like it was about ready. I stuck the probe thermometer into it and it read like one fifteen or something. I pulled it at one twenty, and it rose up to just under one thirty. It was like one twenty eight, one twenty nine, or something. Um, and you know, I, I can do it just by feel, but at the same time, I'm kind of, I'm doing other stuff around the kitchen too. You know, I'm not into showing off and it's, I can space things. So having a remote probe thermometer right there where it's kind of like, what's the temperature at? And I can keep cutting Brussels sprouts or something and mm -hmm. see what the temperature is on the turkey right there without having to stop what I'm doing. And, and especially, I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but most years the kitchen can be crowded at Thanksgiving and <laughs> getting from a cutting space on a counter to the oven can be tough. So, but yeah. Your aunt Sally has desperately got to get in there and make her, you know, jelly casserole that she makes every year. And she needs the entire kitchen to do it. Even, <laughs> yes. even though no one ever eats it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. Aunt Sally. 
she makes a jello and she put she makes a jello and she puts like uh fruit in it or something like that <laughs> uh, beans or something you know but uh, <laughs> I don't know what it was that weird thing like Annette Funicello puts in her jello molds you know like like back in the 50s or whatever who knows yeah anyway. I've, I've actually had a jello mold when I was a kid that had chunks of canned tuna in it um <laughs> I, I god god <laughs> Chris I think that was just cat food <laughs> I mean, it was, no, this was at, oh God, this was at like a potluck function thing. Oh, geez. I, I, I have a strong aversion to any jello mold anything because of yeah. those events. <laughs> what, okay. What, this is for the two experts, Chris and Schubach. What is your best side? Just each one of you guys uh, start with a guest and just tell us your best side for Thanksgiving. Best side? Like side dish, yeah. Oh, Chris, whoever can think of one. Well, I, I make so many different. I always make. I know. <laughs> like well, without question, side, I always side. make stuffing. It's my it's my favorite thing to eat. I don't even think I make a good one, but and no, you know, like most people are like, yeah, whatever. But I love it. So I I, I make it every year. So that's my best. You put yeah. sausage in there, and <laughs> I don't I just keep it real simple. It's mostly just. Bread, like bread, but like savory bread pudding, you know. Nice. Yeah. So, what's what? What sort of herbs and spices do you put into that for? Uh, well, um, I whatever I can for fresh herbs, whatever I can steal from my neighbors. So they usually have like lavender, rosemary. They get all the basics, and um, that's I, I throw that in there, and I'll do um, roasted garlic usually, or just garlic, and then you know, like your standard mirepoix kind of thing. Carrots, celery, onions, and, um, and I put, of course, I put some spices in mine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's about. And eggs, of course, and some some stock. I tend, you know, my my uh, girlfriend is vegetarian, so I am not. But I tend to make most of the items that are going on the side vegetarian. Nice. I like that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely a bigger thing. It's, I, I've even moved some stuff that I make on the side to vegan entirely. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, I guess I for my favorite side, my favorite one to eat um, is charred Brussels sprouts. Mm. Um, and if I have my way, I'm going to make it with lard or bacon fat. <laughs> um, but there you go. That's what my grandpa. Yeah, was. but I mean, really, like, get it cut the Brussels sprouts in half. Um, I actually brine Brussels sprouts or I let them like soak in some salt water for a bit and then yeah. um, put them all face down. And I do all of the cooking that I do. I don't want to be in the kitchen during any holiday. So I cook stuff <laughs> over a fire and um, you know, that that's, that's what I love to do in general. And it's especially convenient during the hol during any holiday. Um, so I'll just have a griddle over a fire and just, or, cast iron pan some pan sometimes and just put them cut side down in uh, bacon fat or just use olive oil if uh, you're concerned about vegans well or vegetarians actually because then you put cheese on it later um, but do that and then some um, for spices on that I really like to use a deep pepper like Aleppo is one of my favorites mm -hmm. as you probably know shoebox because that's 
in almost every single order I put in. Um, <laughs> but I, I really like to have a blend of like um, sort of spicy peppers, bright peppers, something like bird's eye. And then Aleppo is more of like a deeper, it's still spicy, but it has like a, um, a depth to it that you don't get in some of the brighter ones. Yeah. Um, so I'll put like some Aleppo, some toasted um, walnuts on it, and then grate some uh, Parmesan cheese on it at the end. And um, yeah, that's one of my favorite. Brussels sprouts with a good black, like blackened on the cut side yeah. when they're put down onto the griddle. Nice. Yeah, so, cast iron is good. I actually I actually ordered from Shoebox and um, I had one of his spices. So I had a far, from the farm stand, uh, from the uh, farm share I had, I had parsnips, I had like uh, small fingerling potatoes. Uh, I had uh, um, turnips and st- all sorts of like root vegetables that I didn't know what to do with. So I just like put some olive oil down, chopped them up, and I threw some garlic and onions in there. And I took that uh, Hanel Raz. What is that called? And I put <laughs> it on there and I, I cooked it for a while and like basically made like, like, spicy potato chips thing i mean they were they i didn't cook them for i cooked them for like an hour you know so they were good they were they weren't crunchy but they were good so uh it it like i just took your spices and it throw it on and it tasted delicious yeah that's a it's called ross el hanout okay and <laughs> um no you're close and it, it's such an interesting one to pick because that's a very it's a very special uh, spice blend, and it's it's special to me too. Um, Ras al Hanout means the head of the shop in Arabic, and in Morocco, where it's native to, every family will have their own recipe for Ras al Hanout, as well as all the spice merchants. And there is a lot of spice trade historically and still currently in Morocco. And the Ras al Hanout that you make is supposed to really highlight your shop and really highlight like what you do well in, in spices. Um, in the U S they tend to be pretty dumbed down. You know, it's basically like cumin, coriander, cayenne, paprika, and maybe like two or three other things. And like, it's called Ras El Hanout. In Morocco, the minimum, uh, number of ingredients would be 20. Um, and it's, you know, it's one thing to take 20 different spices, throw them in a bowl and be like, okay, here you go. <laughs> it's another thing to do that and make it taste good, be balanced, work well as it's intended, you know, be traditional still. And there's really no, like, definitive, because of its sort of the way it's created, there's no definitive recipe. So when I got started with pinch and i've been um in this business for about eight years now i um first of all i really didn't even know what ross the the crazy part is i didn't even really know what it was (laughs) then i I started to learn it. i'm like you know i really got focused on i want to make a real ross el hanout and i really wanted to you know i wanted it to be i wanted to be special and i really wanted it to do what it's supposed to do it's just a highlight my shop and 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 show off kind of what we could do um and it took me months to make that recipe to test it i ended up i met this person on on reddit 
Um, I just like went on the like Reddit Morocco, like their subreddit yeah. and was like, Hey, I'm like an American guy trying to figure out how to make Quasal Hanout. And I got, I had a few people talk to me and this um, one guy kind of traded back and forth with me as I went through. And, um, you know, to, and, and I, I think I made a really nice Rossal Hanout. It's very traditional in terms of the types of ingredients it has in it, but it's unique to, to me. It's my recipe. Um, it's got 26 spices in it. Ours is one of the only all organic Rossal Hanouts. And really in the U.S., um, mine is generally considered one of the like the truly authentic Rossella Newts and it's a really popular item we sell nationally that people wouldn't probably otherwise even find me but come and find us for that spice so you picked nice. a good one Carl I, I've had yeah. I've never had anything <laughs> really like good. it I've never had anything like it mm-hmm. and I, I'm like this is phenomenal like I you know it has some familiar tastes because I yeah. like a lot of the spices in it but I never had in the combination and in right. like the potato is just a medium for that. Absolutely. Spice, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. that's why I was like, and you know, a parsnip and a, in a turnip, they all, they have their flavors and they're, they're good, but you mix them all together, throw some garlic and then spice it up with that stuff. It's just like, yeah. you can't really go wrong, man. You, you uh, know, the, the common cooking instrument in Morocco is a tagine. I don't, I don't know if you guys have ever seen one. It looks kind of like a, a genie flask or something, um, but it's basically a steam convection cooking device, and they make, like, couscous and all – like, they'll put a bunch of veggies and meats and couscous in there, yeah. and it all cooks together. And, and if you think – like, you've used that, like – Rasal Hanout is very aromatic. It has lots of flowers in it. Like yeah. I, I put roses in there and lavender and things like that. And when you cook with it, they really open up. So I'm sure when you're doing like when you cook for like an hour in an oven, I'm sure your kitchen smelled great. Oh, yeah. That thing's designed to really open up as you cook with it too. So. Well, you it's said fun. you were talking about coriander and uh, I brewed a beer uh with coriander in it, sure. and it, the kitchen smelled phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's I mean, one what? of my, my go-to things is just the whole North African, Middle Eastern kind of like cumin-coriander combo. Absolutely. Um, is just, just as a base to build off of for so many other things is awesome. It is. Those two spices are at the core of like, so in so many cuisines in you know, like around the world they're just they're in everything and it is they're just like a real they go well together and they're also just real baseline spices you know, coriander is just um uh cilantro you know right you know yeah. uh it, it's got as a seed of course the flavor is different and i i love i love it in beer it is really common in brewing especially like you see it a lot of Belgian beers, wheat right. beers, things like that. Um, it has a really, it has, it has a really nice citrus flavor. It also like lately, and we get, I get a really high quality coriander. I get my coriander from Sri Lanka, and it comes from pretty small farms and like really good farmers. Um, and I call it the Fruit Loop spice now because I can't like my. I, every time I open that bag, I just smell Fruit Loop, but it's got that real. It has, <laughs> really? it has a real fruity, citrusy, and like uh, it, it just has that, uh, especially a good one. So 
<laughs> Fruit Loops. Yeah. Like, I can see the fruitiness in it without a doubt, without a doubt. And so, and, and Shoebox, you've been to a lot of, you've been to visit a lot of your suppliers in <laughs> India and Sri Lanka, right? Uh, I have, I would, you know, I want to do that more. Um, and, um, but our primary supplier is in Sri Lanka and we have been to the farms there and, and it's a really cool situation that they have going on. Um, years ago, an NGO came in to um, where these farms are and suggested they start becoming certified organic farmers because you can get a higher price for your spices. And it's also just a better way to live. But it's really, you know, yeah, it takes definitely. years to flush a, basically to, to get a farm to the point that it can be certified organic. Um, especially if they've been doing a lot of like, you know, putting a lot of chemicals and things. So it takes a long time and, you know, farmers can't, you know, I think the GDP in Sri Lanka is probably like $6,000 or something. I mean, it's a pretty poor country. Like, it can't not work. Yeah. And um, the NGO kind of set them up to kind of help them get through that. And and then what this farm collective has done is they, um, they farm spices. They also then, um, they built a processing facility. So they then basically buy the spices from themselves, process them, and then sell them um, directly to people like me. Um, so they get a really good price, but they also are basically doubling down. And the money that they make from processing, they use to onboard their neighbor farmers. So they continue to oh, grow great. the or organic collective and just like have a better community. And it's to, to say all that is one thing to go and see it, and feel it and feel like you're, you know, by doing business, you're a part of something is really special and we are, as we grow this company right now, that is, I think, one of the biggest, I think that's my my focus is I just want to do more of that. I want to be part of, a, you know, the, the communities we're, we're getting our spices from. So, yeah, uh, we're, yeah, we're doing that awesome. a little bit more now in India. <clears throat> there was um, some farms we visited that are small and aren't. They're not quite ready to export. It's expensive to to get all the licensing you need. We're kind of working through that, and I think it's going to be a good test for me and and Pinch um, as we learn how to just be a partner like that. And I'm really excited about growing that that part of our business right now. Great. Great. I mean, so, you know, you're basically telling them that they'll have a market once they get to the point that they can. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, um, I worked at a, um, a local organic farm. I volunteered there and, cool. and the, um, the, the, uh, owners, um, Don and Laura, they, uh, they, there's a huge process to go and get your farm organic and really, and really do it the right way, you know? So I understand, you know, and we were killing bugs by hand, you know what I mean? Off those yep. crops, you know, yeah. You know, they don't use any pesticides. So I, I like, like once you start growing things and, and then you're like, like, wow. And then you buy a head of lettuce at the store and it's like, basically nothing to buy but yeah. but 
but to farm it's it's like so much work you know it's crazy yeah. well and you know the spice trade is the spice trade it's, it's old and there are <laughs> lots of old tricks and new tricks and all kinds of opportunities to do bad stuff with spices so i think it's extremely important to know and trust who you're you're working with for us as a company it's you know it's it's an advantage and it's important for us to really have partners as suppliers and people we know and trust um but then also i'm able to pass that down to my customers that level of of, of trust huge. and knowledge um that's huge yeah so it's that's like awesome. It's something too. I mean, I think that, you know, anyone who's looking to sort of, you know, vary their cooking or improve their cooking at all, it's like getting good spices and buying it in an amount that you'll actually use within a year is a really great place to start because I mean, fresh spices, A, that they're fresh, you know, at the time that you purchase them. And I know this, the spices that I've gotten from you are just, it's just, you open up the canister and I don't even need to hold it up to my nose most of the time for this stuff. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's just clearly fresh and then, you know, use it up in time. I mean, it's kind of yeah. scared me sometimes. Um, but that, you know, something like go to an Airbnb and now I bring my own spices if I'm going to be cooking there. <laughs> but, you know, it'd sort of be like, oh, here's some garlic powder. And then it's kind of like you smell it. There's nothing there. You taste it. And, you know, it's kind of like, wow, that could be drywall dust. And I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. You know, I mean, it's um, after a certain amount of time, the, the shelf life has expired. And, and I want to say, shoot. Oh, sorry. I was, was going to jump in and just say, um, Whenever oh, I on. stay at Airbnbs, I bring spices, but I always just load the cupboards, and I'm kind of like Johnny Apple, Johnny Spice Seed, or whatever. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so you leave yeah. it there? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's good marketing, and you also it it's like it's fun, you know, to just be like, "You need yeah. good spices here." We just like load up the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, dude. You got to tell me where you're staying so I can book there. Yeah, exactly. Like immediately afterwards. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is your spices are packed in a tin. You know what I mean? Like, so you, so you, you've really thought about this. Well, we do a tin and then I do a bag. And, um, I mean, I've thought about it. There's also just experientially when I started, um, we did all glass jars, um, Glass jars are, A, they're kind of expensive, but they also break really easily. Mm. And the last thing they have going against them is they let a lot of light in, um, and people tend to leave them out a bit. Uh, yeah. So we got away from those, but I needed some kind of container that um, would, would work for most people, and those, those screw-top pins that we use, we... we uh, started using those and then I do use a lot of bags in our um, larger sizes so is, yeah. is is there like proper spice care that people just don't know about yeah definitely I think one mistake a lot of people make is they put them on or near their oven and mm, right. spices really do not like temperature fluctuation they don't need to mm. be kept you know super cold or anything like that, but the sort of 
up and down, you're going to get a lot of, like, you can get moisture developing that way, and it just kind of degrades them. The other thing they really don't like is direct sunlight. So you want to keep them in, a, in like, a, a dark cabinet is is ideal. Um, I always have people ask me, like, should I keep these in the fridge or yeah, the freezer? And um, both of those are no, definitely not the fridge, which is, you know, pretty humid and it's not, not great for uh, spices in, in the freezer. I, I don't think you really need to do the freezer at all. So, but just I the cabinet like, out of the light. I've heard like coffee, like shouldn't be kept in the, in the cold because it loses like oils and stuff like that. Is that the same with spices? Yep. You know, I, I don't have an answer for you, but I got to assume it's the same just based on that too. I've heard yeah, that same too. thing about coffee yeah. and never thought it's funny. I've not thought about it with spices, but it would connect the dots. I mean, they both are coffee and spices are pretty similar in a sense, uh, especially in terms of the oil, like the volatile oils, which is where you're getting a lot of that flavor from. Right. And, and uh, here's the other thing I heard is, is some of like, like if you're growing like, like, uh, like a leaf, like a, like a, I wouldn't say like a, like, uh, or um, oregano or something like that. And you're making a soup, you shouldn't put it in like the start of your soup. You should throw it in like five minutes before it's done. So it keeps like the volatile oils or whatever the, you know, taste, you know, is that the same thing with spice or like, you know what uh, I mean? Like, do you put it like in a, if you're making a, I don't know. It, you know, if you look at, um, I think a, an interesting way to look at that is like, if you look at how most Indian dishes are made, there's actually different times when spices are added. I mean, you often start an Indian dish by just um, posting in oil, you know, some base spices to get it started. And then you might add some other ingredients, add some liquid, add some spice. And then um, when they finish a lot of dishes, especially dishes you get at, at restaurants, they'll also basically take butter um, that has some spice, again, mm -hmm. kind of fried. And then that is served right on top, like as a finisher. Um, so you, you can... Oftentimes, you're actually looking at layering that that flavor. Not all the time, um, but uh, I, there's there's different opportunities to to add add a depth of flavor while you're cooking. It depends what you're cooking. You know, when I do barbecue, yeah, I yeah. tend to to do a dry rub and let that rub sit on on something overnight. Um. But while I'm cooking, I may use a mop or something that has some additional spice in it. And then finishing it out, a lot of people put like a barbecue sauce or things like that. And, and when I make a barbecue sauce, of course, I'm putting at least pepper in there, but usually a lot of other spices. And you know, same thing, you're just layering those flavors as you go along. Yeah, it's. I'll actually even, I mean, with ribs, I'll, I'll do a dusting. After I cut them up, I'll do a dusting of the yeah. rub that I used. Um, yeah, exactly. And, yep. and yeah. And, and there are in a lot of cuisines, there's kind of a concept of um, for fresh herbs, there's, you know, the idea of finishing herbs um, right. that are things that you hold off to the end. Um, and I do that a lot when I have fresh greens in the garden. Um, right now I'm buried in 
not arugula, but now not baby arugula, very spicy, a little bit yeah. bitter, like leaves that look like huge leaves of shard. Um, and I'll use those to just kind of top some stuff off at the end, like, and use it in a chimichurri too. Works really well. Um, Shoebox, what's your top spice, you think? What's your best spice? My, like, that I think is like the best quality or like what's our top seller? Uh, yeah, you can take it either way. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's a, that Ras Al Hanout we were talking about is probably the thing I'm most proud of to share with the world. Um, and it is one of the more popular things. I also, right now, um, we sell a lot of dried garlic. Um, and that's because we are one of, again, we, we only use U.S., like domestic California-grown garlic. Uh, yeah. and, and a lot of people are just on the hunt for that these days. So that's real From popular. Um, we... My, my girlfriend, who's also my business partner, she had this great idea to just kind of bundle some of our spices in little groupings. Like we have a Thanksgiving kit now, or we have like a, a pie kit and that yeah. doing that has been so popular. And I think what it does for people is you kind of come onto a website like ours and you're like, well, I know I need this. And I want to get something else, but I'm not sure what to get. And we're kind of just taking that decision out of it and being like, if you like this, you're going to love these two other things. So you might as well buy them together. And we see that yeah. happening a lot. And um, yeah, I make my, like a, I make a Piri Piri mix that is uh, just a perennial favorite. Um, and, and then seasonally, it'll kind of shift, you know, in the, in the spring and summer, we're selling a lot of our barbecue. You know, I make, I make a lot of spice blends in addition to like all the just base spices I have, I make a lot of blends. So, um, yeah, the barbecue will get real popular for a while and then, you know, kind of tail off. Um, yeah. And then oh, I also the sell, I... Oh, go on. you know, the one last thing I'll add is we carry some pretty, harder to find in exotic stuff like Chris is talking about the Aleppo chili. Um, and we get our Aleppo from a supplier that gets it in Syria, which is really, or that used to be how it was, but for a long time you couldn't do that because of the conflict there, sadly, but uh, we're getting Syrian Aleppo again and it's just so good. And it's one of those things people seek out. And um, so the the exotic stuff that we have, you know, is just always, always out there and people are always looking for it. Kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I would say, oh, I don't know how many, because um, I, I don't, I don't think I even saw it on the website, but I know I buy it from you a lot is a uh, Kubeb, which is yeah. um, one thing that no one knows. I, I'm probably responsible for like half of the entire country's Kubeb consumption every year. Uh <laughs> but it's a great spice that I, are there spices that you think people have kind of ignored that, that you'd like to, that you think people would really enjoy if they heard about it, some unknown spices or less, lesser known. Yeah. You know, um, there's, there's a bunch, I think the Kubeb is fun and, and you're, you know, it's funny is I don't even sell that. Um, cause I don't have a solid supplier for it. Like that Kubeb you've, you've got there, Chris, like I, I got directly in India 
And um, I I think Kubeb was a, is a fun one for me in like a, a spice market because I, if I can say it in the language and ask for it, it's rare anywhere. But anyone that does spices will know it. And it kind of instantly makes me not a tourist anymore <laughs> right. and someone that's serious about like for real. And it was a good way to navigate all the bazaars and markets to really get in front of the real uh, spice vendors and, and also have fun conversations. Um, but uh, I think one that's really fun and has a little popularity, but most people don't know about is grains of paradise which, uh, Carl, you may recognize because it's used in, in brewing as well. You'll see right. it sometimes. And it's Grains of Paradise, is, uh, <laughs> it's got a fun story. It's, um, it's actually related to cardamom. So it has uh, kind of a, a, a little bit of a flavor like cardamom, but uh, long ago, black pepper was kind of like oil is now, like, People paid their rent with it. It was just like it was the driving force of international trade. And so, of course, there were people out there trying to find like counterfeit black pepper. Like Christopher Columbus came to our neck of the woods because he was looking for black pepper. They couldn't find it over here because it didn't exist. They ended up bringing back allspice and saying, see, this is pepper um of course <laughs> all spice is not but uh, it's still a great spice but um into paradise was often used as counterfeit black pepper because it kind of looks like black pepper and it has a really nice peppery flavor but then it has this whole other element of this kind of floral sweet cardamom um that interacts and so it's a really neat spice you can use it like pepper but you just get all these other flavors out of it so it's kind of a fun one yeah what about ethiopian berber i like that one yeah <laughs> you know uh the the berber and i the way they say it I, you know i always pronounce it terrible it's like much like the ras al hanout or a lot of these Blends in that are are real specific to countries like that's an Ethiopian spice blend. Same kind of thing. Like different families will have their version. You know, restaurants, companies that sell it. There's you know everyone's got their own recipe. I actually used, I made that recipe. The one we sell, I made the recipe kind of training and tuning myself up to make the Rossel Hanout because it's got a lot of ingredients. Same thing. You got to strike a balance with that. Your really trying to strike a balance between this like really hot spicy mix. It's, I don't know. I think it's about 60%, 60 or 70% chilies in there. Um, and then you're, you're striking a balance with all these nice cooling spices like cinnamon and cardamom and allspice. And you want to kind of get it really working that way. Um, if you ever go out for Ethiopian food, pretty much, Almost every dish you're eating has the the, the Berber in it, uh, and it's it's a great spice. I love it. I've one of the, the my favorite things I've done with it is I, I used to make I haven't done it in a while, but I make like a, a so, like almost like an Italian sausage with it in there, and it is just like oh god nitro. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, well, that's a, that's like a wow. a lot of Moroccan dishes. I mean, really are are very heavy on spices, and it's almost oh yeah, like the the dish, yeah. the flavor profile is the spice, and then you know the chicken is just kind of there to have some substance to it to have to, to <laughs> add protein to your spices yeah. that you're having for dinner. Yeah, which is but awesome. If you I think love about it. it. I mean, <laughs> that, like spices were like a technology to make rancid food taste palatable and and not totally wreck your digestive system so when you look a lot yeah. at a lot of like old cooking they use a lot of spices and and for that i think for that that's a big reason behind it is that it was just kind of hiding off flavors so you don't want your rancid chicken to be the the, <laughs> the, 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 the first flavor <laughs> right exactly yeah yeah and, and a lot of salt will actually take care of a lot of the you know, bacteria mm-hmm. or some of the problems that you might yep. have in it. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Cool. Okay. <laughs> well, I think we're getting towards the end of the um, first half here and uh, we're going to sort of wander off into other topics in the second half. And um, <laughs> yes, we'll gobble off to second topics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so shoebox, if people want to order stuff from pinch spice market.com, um, in time for Thanksgiving delivery, when would they have to have an order? In oh, yeah. Well, we, um, we generally ship next day. And um, generally people receive things within one to four days. So um, as long as you're giving yourself about a week, you should be good. And um, one thing I will say in terms of Thanksgiving, we do have a really cool Thanksgiving kit going right now. It has uh, a turkey brine in it. It has a pumpkin pie spice. It has oh, a that pie spice, spice is awesome. I make. That is. <laughs> it has yeah. a, a. It has a, a blend I make called Friends and Family, which is my Thanksgiving spice mix, and to me is the flavor of Thanksgiving. And then it also has a little bag of a black truffle salt, which I think is great on things like your turkey. Nice. <laughs> so, nice. Wow. Yeah, that awesome. that pumpkin pie spice is everyone in my family orders it and I I'm not a big <laughs> pumpkin pie guy in general, but I really like that. Yeah. And um it's I'll be posting it on Instagram soon, but I it's I I use that in um cooking a whole pumpkin um in coals. Yeah. On a camp on a fire in my backyard just kind of buried the pumpkin yeah. in coals and use I mean that. it's really good on like sweet potatoes too, yeah. things like yeah. that. Um and then, I mean, I like, I'll make the occasional um, pumpkin latte in the fall with yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, all right, guys, uh, where did, where are you guys? Uh, so did you say your website in there? Uh, I might have missed it. It's, uh, it's pretty, it's pinchspicemarket.com. All right. Uh, all right, Chris, what's your website? I'm uh, basically best way to see what I'm up to is uh, Instagram and I'm live fire cook, all one word. Andy? Uh, AndyRestano.com, and you can find links to my Instagram and uh, Tumblr and Twitter from there. Amadcarl.com. And you can't, you can, you can do art somewhere, but you can't do art here. Get the hell out of the art shed. Take it easy, guys. See you later, everyone. Thanks Thanks a lot. (laughs)
<laughs> oh crap, I fucking shut off the fucking mad Kyle stump. Like, <laughs> I was trying to turn up the volume. Thanks to uh, Ed Guild and uh, Andy Sanspago for our soundtrack, The Mad Carl Stomp. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Yeah, Anyone else? We're going to play you out with The Mad Carl Stomp by Ed. All right.